Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello. Look, it's really lovely to be here. And what a, what a warm welcome from Jared. Isn't he lovely? Yeah, the, the thing is that, that I, I love what I get to do with being able to journey with people and to hear their stories, to hear their pain, and hopefully to share something of what God would want to say to them that sets captives free. I mean, that's part of my calling and my journey. So it's nice to know that it's worked for one person. As Jared mentioned, my name's Richard. I head up an organization called Strength to Strength, which on the outside, what we are, we're a, we're a counseling and a training organization. But our heartbeat, what's behind the surface, is that we want to help people succeed with life, to succeed with this life that Jesus said he came to bring us, but a life that many people certainly haven't found easy and certainly not abundant. And so I lead a team of people, we counsel, we coach, we supervise, we run training events. And the most recent thing that we're now doing, which is quite dear to my heart, is my first ever book is now being released. I know, it's exciting, it really is. And it's called, we'll put it up here on the screen, it's called Centered, Knowing Who You Are in an Off-Balance World. So helping people to get that sense of stability, centeredness, turanga waiwai, of what holds you when all your insecurities are trying to rage against you. And as much as I love that book, which is now released, they, you know, as much as you love all your kids, it's always the next child that you have that you've just got a soft spot for. And so the, the book that's about to be released is a children's book on developing mental and emotional awareness and resilience. And it's called There's a Happy Moon in My Side, which, which came about from a conversation I had with my daughter when she was four years old. And she was upset one night. And I said, honey, what you need is we, we just need to uh, get you to have a good night's sleep. And that will put a happy mood inside of you. And she woke up the next morning and I said, how are you today? She said, Daddy, there's a happy moon in my side. <laughs> so this is a story about Lucy and her adventures with the happy moon who tells her the truth and helps her to get her emotions and her thoughts more into a healthy space. So we're offering that for, for pre-orders now, pretty much so that we can get the money to actually get it printed so if you want to know about either of those, go to our website, strengthtostrength.co.nz, and you can, you can either purchase those or you can at least know a little bit more about who we are and what we do. But everything that we do is designed to help people to break through and break free into to being all that they have been created to be, into doing all that they have been called to do. And, and I love this. And, and so in this way, it's my joy, it's my pleasure to take part in kicking off this series that you're looking at on Light It Up, on how do we become healthy in, in mind, in body, and spirit. And my area, the place I get to speak into, is around how do we create healthy minds. And so that's where I'm going to lead you today. Does that sound Okay. Yeah, it does to the front row. I've lost everybody else already. That wasn't a good start, was it? So in this, the, the, the thing that I, I really feel like I, I need to start with, the thing that I feel like it's important for me to, to share with you, is you see, 
This is something that, that may come as a surprise to many of you, and it may even come as a shock to a number of you. But I have not always been the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it is true. You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith as a 16-year-old boy down in Christchurch, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. And I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were all in agreement that we didn't have any problems. You know, not really. I mean, sure, we weren't perfect, but problems were what other people had. So you can imagine that when the spotlight of mental and emotional health did a kind of reality check in my life, <laughs> yeah, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening. You know, when I discovered, like um, Jared sort of modeled before, that I could not blame other people for how I was feeling, yeah, this wasn't a happy time. When I discovered also that all these things that I was struggling with and wrestling with in my life was primarily not so much about what was going on outside of me, but said more about what was going on inside of me, <laughs> yeah, these were fun times. And as I looked at myself and all that I was struggling with and all that was messed up in me, I started to realize, I thought, well, you know, this is actually pretty obvious. I mean, it's pretty obvious what Richard is going through and struggling with. So, so Lord, why hadn't I seen it before now? To which I felt like he said to me, well, Richard, let me put it like this. If you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? Do you get that? And so I, as I worked on this stuff, and I thought, you know, Lord, the other thing that I'm frustrated by is, is why haven't I been changed and fully transformed before now? I mean, I've come to faith. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I worship. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. So why am I not fully transformed? Now, now don't get me wrong. When I came to faith, certainly things shifted in my life, and transformation began to enter into my life. In fact, when I came to faith, I felt like the Holy Spirit led me on my own personal discipleship journey as He would go with me into the different rooms of my being to work on the different areas that I was wrestling with so that He would come to me sort of each day, each week and say, Richard, shall we have a look at what's in this room? To which I would say to him, let's not. And, you know, I struggled with depression for about the first 16 years of my life. And when I, when I came to faith, the depression began to lift mostly. But I still had strong bouts of depression. And, and what I also found quite frustrating was, was I was frustrated by how thin-skinned I still was. You know, how easily it was to offend me or upset me or how I would be wounded by what people did or said or failed to do. And then when I discovered that the speed at which you take offense is actually a key indication of how mentally and emotionally unhealthy you are, <laughs> well, the joy just kept on coming. <laughs> and as I looked at this, and then I sort of lifted my head, and I looked around at everyone else, I realized it wasn't just me. Other people were struggling with stuff. I would see churches where they longed to love one another. They just didn't like each other very much. I would see people who loved the Lord with all of their heart, but they were still struggling with depression and anxiety. 
I would see people who loved being a part of the worship team but would still go home and secretly self-harm. I would see people who love to lose themselves in worship on Sunday and then go home and repeatedly yell at their kids during the week. They failed to get their anger under control. I would see people who were, were serving the Lord faithfully for years, but they're still struggling with their habits, their addictions, with their comfort eating, their pornography, their alcohol. You know, and as I looked around all of this, I thought, now, Lord, why is this the case? And what I felt like he said to me was, Richard, you see, we've actually forgotten where real transformation comes from. You know, we know a number of the scriptures. We, we can quote some of the, some of the scriptures, but, but in many ways, we failed to know how to apply them. And so really, this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take you through some of these scriptures that might be quite familiar to you, just to have a look at how do we take them and apply them in our own life. So Jared's on board. That's good. So in this, let's take a look at one of the, the a very famous one, which is something Jesus said in John 8, where he says, you will know the truth, truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's interesting that he didn't say prayer ministry would set you free, but I love prayer ministry. Nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free, and I love that a whole lot less. And to be fair, nor did he say that counseling would set you free. What he said was, truth will set you free. So when you encounter truth, wherever you encounter truth, however you encounter truth, if it is the truth, then freedom comes. But of course, that begs the question, what's the specific truth that you need that's going to bring freedom? You see, there's also another uh, passage in, in Romans 12 where it says that we are to be transformed through the renewing of our mind and not through the removal of our mind, as many Christians seem to think. You know, because what we can do is we can take these two worlds of our spiritual self and our mental emotional self and we can separate them out as if they are mutually exclusive. And to be fair, we'll look at, at this, this mental, emotional world with a lot of suspicion. And it's understandable. Why, isn't it? I mean, there's been a lot of wacky things said by a lot of wacky people. And we'll try to answer everything from our spiritual side. Because this is our zone, people, isn't it? We own this zone. This is the, the area of Bible reading, prayer, of tithing and laying on of hands, depending on your denomination. And what we'll try to do is we'll try to answer everything from that side. And when we can't, then we'll jettison the person over to this other side of their mental, emotional health, which is with uh, counselors, psychologists, psychotherapists, all of those sort of people. And we'll hope they get healed, but we also hope that they come back still normal. And as if these two worlds are mutually exclusive, but in fact, what we read from this passage, that we are to be transformed through the renewing of our mind, these two worlds are in fact inextricably connected. We cannot separate them. And when we do so, we do so to our detriment. And the other thing in that that I've found is that when it comes to this world of mental health, what we have a tendency, both in the church and outside of it, is we have a tendency to see it as if you are in one or the other. 
that you are either mentally well or that you are mental, you're suffering from mental illness. And so we will see people that we assume are mentally well, and then we're surprised that they've fallen off the cliff into mental illness. But the, the fact is, it's not that you are one or the other. My friends, this is a continuum. You are all on the spectrum somewhere. And you see, part of it is, is when you fail to be able to identify, what am I really struggling with? Where am I needing to grow? Where does my mental health sort of come to the end of itself, that I still need help and health to grow? If you can't name that, that's not because you're mentally healthy. That's because you're in denial. You see, one of the key indications I would suggest that we are mentally healthy, a key indication of, of mental well-being is when we can name where our growth edge is so that we're not living in denial. When we can name where we're still working on, what we still need to grow and where we still need Jesus and His truth to transform us, now that's a step towards health. So far from these worlds being mutually exclusive, far from these worlds actually being one or the other, we need to understand that they are inextricably connected, that we're all on the spectrum, and we start, need to start to be able to name our growth edge. Now, there's another passage which, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.17, which is a, a, a passage that I absolutely love, and it's a seemingly innocent little passage. Although, to be fair, they all seem innocent at first until you take a closer look, don't they? And this is the one that says, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom or liberty, depending on your translation. Now, what that also means is that wherever you are not experiencing freedom, then guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't present there, not to the degree that He wants to be. Now, why is that? Because He is the Spirit of truth. And when we unwittingly, unconsciously hold on to a belief, a lie, we quench the work of the Spirit at that place. So I'll meet people who, who deep down, what they're believing in the core of their being is that they are a disappointment to God. And so it doesn't matter how many times they hear about how much God loves them, that just washes off them. And they're left, perhaps, in a state of depression. I'll meet people who, deep down in the core of their being, they believe that they're only okay, they're only significant, they're only worthy, so long as they're achieving, attaining, performing right. So it doesn't matter how many times they hear about God's grace, that just doesn't ring true. It just washes off them. And they'll be left in a perpetual state of anxiety. It doesn't matter when you've got people who, who are struggling with who they are and they've got the sense that actually there's something wrong with me, there's something faulty in me. It doesn't matter how many times they hear that they are a child of God. All of that just washes off them and they're left with thoughts of self-hatred. You see, when we hold on to a lie, it quenches the work of the one who is the spirit of truth. And it gives access to the one who's known as the father of lies. And he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. 
Which is why I will see Christians who are, are crying out, Lord, deliver me, save me, help me in this area. And it's like they're up against a locked door, longing for God to come in and bring His change and His transformation. But at times what they don't realize is it's like the Lord is on the other side, longing to come in. But they are the one who holds the key. They are the one who chooses whether they unlock the door with truth or they hold on to the lie. And when they find the truth to whatever lie has been binding them up, they unlock the door and the Holy Spirit can come in and bring His transformative power. So in this place, when they find the truth, they discover that it really does set them free. The other passage that I want to take you to now, and in many ways I just want to camp around this passage because it's so deep, it's so rich, full of wisdom to help us here, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Now here in this passage, what we read is Paul is telling us, he says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, in this, we've got to pull this passage apart. There is so much in here that helps us in our day-to-day -day living. See, the first thing that I want you to see here that, that is so obvious that many times we just completely miss it. When you look at this passage, when we read this passage, when we hear about these divine, these weapons that have divine power, tell me, who is to use them? We are. We are to use them. Now, doesn't that just really frustrate you? Because, I mean, you know, wouldn't you love it, you know, to be able to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, you know, you know the issues that are going on in me. So tonight when I go to sleep, if you could just take care of that and fix that all up, that would be lovely. Thanks so much. I mean, wouldn't that be great? But he doesn't do it without us. Usually what we find is he does it with us. He does it through us in order to do it in us. And so what we find is we are the ones who have to take these weapons and actually apply them to break the strongholds apart. Now, the other thing I find really interesting in this passage is this word stronghold. I mean, it's got a kind of spiritual connotation to it, doesn't it? And that's right. But what's really interesting is this word stronghold can also be translated from the Greek, house of thoughts. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's a mentality, it's a mindset that has got caught inside of you. And this is what we are to break apart. This is what we are to demolish. And how do we do that? As we demolish every argument, every pretension, every rationale that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God is, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God says we are. That sets itself up against the knowledge of what God says is true. That we have to demolish these. Now, for some of you, there will be strongholds in the mind that have become so ingrained. 
that you actually need someone else, a professional, to help you to break this stronghold apart. But there's also other areas in our mind where we can break this apart, clean this up on a daily basis. You see, to put it this way, no one expects you to do your own root canal, but we do expect you to brush your teeth. And in many ways, this is what I want to show you now. I just want to show you a bit about how do you do some brain brushing? How do you regularly clean up some of the mental hygiene of what's going on here? Because that's what we see spoken to us in this passage. And what I'm going to share with you are, are four key points that come from this passage that we can use on a daily basis to help us love the Lord with all our minds. And I've been able to make all of these points begin with A. So I want you to be impressed with that. I took a lot of effort to make sure they all began with A. So you are to be impressed. Thank you for that corner. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's have a look at what they are. So the first one here is if we are to demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we first of all have to become aware. You've got to know what's going on. And what I'll find is so many people just run on autopilot in how they're thinking and how they're feeling. They react, they respond to this event, to that event. And at times people will say to me, well, you see, Richard, of course I'm going to react this way. I'm going to think this way. I'm going to feel this way because this is my personality type. To which I'll tell them, that's not your personality. That's your prison cell. And it's time to set you free. So the first step in becoming mentally and emotionally healthy is you've got to become aware. What are you even thinking? So listen into your thoughts. What are you telling yourself as you drive to work, as you go to school, as you go to play group, as you come home? What are you telling yourself as you do your chores or your homework or shopping? What are you telling yourself? Listen into the chatter that's going on in your mind so that you can first of all work out what are the arguments, the belief, the rationales that are going to need to be broken down. The other part of that that we've got to become aware of is not just in our thoughts, but it's also in our feelings. So what I find is that in this area of our emotions is that people can fall into sort of one of two tra uh, traps here. That one will have is some people will fall into the trap of indulging their emotions. So when they discover an emotion, they sit in the emotion. They marinate in their emotion. They go over and over and over this emotion. And don't you come here telling me that I can't have this emotion. This is my emotion. I'm allowed my emotions. And if you really cared about me, you'd come and join me in my emotion, share my emotion so we can experience it together. So you've got those people. Then you've got people who fall into the trap on the other side, who in many ways are also the good old-time Christians, who know never trust an emotion, because they lie. And so they're the sort of people who are used to building walls between them and their feelings. They don't want to deal with any of those pesky emotions. So anytime they feel something, they jettison it over the wall so they don't have to experience that feeling. So you can pretty much poke me, but I'm numb from the head down. <laughs> Haven't come across an emotion in my life. I don't plan to start now. And you've got those people. But what they don't realize 
is that denying your feelings is just a different version of indulging them. Now, why is that? Because you've still been driven by your emotions. You're just unaware of it. See, if you had a broken ankle and we jammed you full of an anesthetic, well, you could probably walk on that broken ankle, but it's still broken bone grinding on broken bone. You just aren't aware of it. And many people are driven by their emotions. They're just not aware that's what they're doing. And they can have all the rational justifications for their behavior. But really, it's emotionally driven. So the place we've got to start is we've got to start by being honest with what we're feeling. Not indulging the feeling, not denying it, but just being honest. You see, this place of honesty about what I'm really feeling, this is a sacred place. Because the Bible says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. There's no darkness, there's no pretense, there's no faking. Being in a place of honesty is one of the most sacred places to be. Because we meet our God when we come to Him in honesty. So the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to become aware what's actually going on inside of me. The second thing that we do that the Bible says is that we are to take captive every thought. We are to arrest every thought so that it doesn't run wild within our mind, so it doesn't rampage in our mind. And the area we really need to do this in is the area that the psychologists refer to as ants, automatic negative thoughts. We can get so caught up in a certain way of seeing things that any time we give a response, it is a negative one. Of course, that's not going to work out. People won't like me. This will turn to cussed. Typical. They just want to use you. Everyone's out to get you. You can't trust anyone. Whatever your response is to a difficult situation, it tends to be a negative one. And what I find is as humans, we have a tendency to believe the negative as if it's somehow more true than the positive. It's not more true, it's just more familiar. And so in this, we've got to be able to take hold of these ants. You know, I remember many years ago when my wife and I, we lived up in the North Island, where they have a whole lot more ants, because it's certainly a whole lot warmer than it is down here in Christchurch. So much so that... It, always had to put the sugary foods in the fridge just to keep them away from the ants. And I remember one day, my wife had made this gorgeous, brilliant banana cake covered in chocolate icing with chocolate hail. And we had a slice of it each, and it was delicious. And you know when you've had probably too much cake, but it was really nice, and you sort of look at each other, and you think, should we have another piece? And I think, don't mind if I do. And so we get up to go get another piece of cake from the kitchen. And what do we see? A trail of ants all the way to this beautiful cake. And my friends, do you know that chocolate hail and an ant look surprisingly similar? But also in a banana cake, you know, the thread of banana looks surprisingly like a bunch of squashed ants. And so we're going, you know, is this chocolate hail? Is this an ant? Oh, it's just all too hard. And so in the end, we ended up dumping the cake. I know, it's still a place of grief in my heart. But you see, my friends, 
That's what can happen in our own mind. These ants scurry through our mind and they rob us of the peace, the joy, the hope that God wants us to have. And so if we are to get healthy, we've got to take captive, we've got to arrest these ants, these beliefs, these thoughts that are stealing the cakes of our mind, that are stealing the joy and the peace and the hope so that they stop rampaging. So we, when we have our thoughts, our feelings going over and over in our mind, we have to interrupt them, we have to arrest those thoughts so that we can now choose to do something with them. And that's where the third part comes in, because we are to take captive these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ, obedient to the one who is the truth. And so when we've taken captive these thoughts, we've now got to answer them with the truth, the specific truth that we need that really does set us free. Now, in this, though, the thing that I found is that we need to find the truth that is a real answer and not just the right answer. You see, I find that in churches, we can be very good at coming up with the right answer. It's just not a real answer. Now, what's the difference? Well, a real answer is a right answer, but it's an answer that I can access, that I can connect with, that I can absorb. You see, I remember many years ago when I was struggling with depression or feeling left out of, with my own insecurity, someone said to me, Richard, what you need to understand is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am. Is that the truth? It so is. Did that help me? Not in the slightest. It was a right answer. But when I sat with it and I thought, so what does this actually mean? As I dwelt on it and I realized what this means is that the God who created the universe thought about me and dreamed me up before creation had come into being. That the God of this universe wanted me, knows me, loves me, that his fingerprints are all over me so that I have worth and value before I ever say or do anything. Now, as I held on to that, did that help? It so did. Something shifted. So in many ways, what's the difference between a real answer and a right answer? Probably about 10 minutes of meditation. Because the Bible tells us, don't just know the Word, meditate on the Word. Dwell on it, marinate in it, absorb it into your being. And so as we do that, change comes. Because, my friends, change happens in the slow and too often, we go through the truth really quickly. We get it up here. We understand it logically. But we actually have to slow ourselves down and ask ourselves, what does that really mean? And give ourselves time to absorb it. So we need to be aware of what is going on. We need to arrest the thoughts, and we need to answer them with truth. And the final thing here is we need to apply that truth. Now that we know what the truth is, now we actually have to walk it out. We have to live knowing that this is the truth so that we work it into us as well as out of us. And with that, we start to change, we renew our mind, and God's transformative power comes into our lives. <laughs>
Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media 